Volume 1, The Inventor Chapter 5, Otto Sees Otto The date is March 4th, 1910 at 6.35 p.m. We must be given a private audience with Anna and Mr. Ellison as soon as possible, Scribe declares to Elda and Estorga moments after hearing the news. Elda stares at Scribe. How could that help? We need a doctor. We cannot argue about this right now. Time is of the essence. I have never led you astray, Elda. You have to trust me when I tell you I can save her and close this case. Or would one of you rather tell Ishmael that his daughter died under your watch? Elda and Estorga meet each other's gaze for a moment before Elda nods to him. Estorga mutters something unsavory to himself before turning to Scribe. You'd better be on to something, Scribe. If you're wrong, you'll be arrested for interfering in this investigation. We will not disappoint you, Scribe assures him. Come, Cyric and Madame Buxley. Now hold on, Estorga interjects. What the hell do you need Buxley for? There is no time to explain, Scribe raises their voice. They rarely raise their voice. Do we or do we not have your permission? Yes, Elda shouts. Just go! I accompany Scribe as we leave the police station and make our way back to the jail. Madame Buxley and Bob keep pace with us. You have no medical training that I know of. How are you certain you can save Anna? I ask. Medical training is unnecessary in this case, Cyric. Anna is completely safe. A lack of breathing is a fatal sign in humans. Am I wrong? You are not wrong, but you need to look at this case with a different perspective. Put yourself in Anna's shoes as of yesterday. She was attending a play from the afternoon until sundown. What would the ramifications of those circumstances be for you, personally? I think for a moment. I am unsure how the thought experiment is useful. I am willing to participate anyways. If I was indoors for so long during daylight and only got outside at sundown, then I would be exhausted without proper preparation. If I had only one morning's worth of sunlight in my battery, then I might collapse shortly after leaving the theater. And what if you were in a windowless jail cell all day, like Anna was? I understand the exercise. I would shut down if I had no sunlight for that long. Scribe turns their head to face me. You understand now. This is the only conclusion that explains Anna's deep slumber, the photograph, her apparent death, and, ultimately, her innocence. Anna Ellison is not a dead human. She is a sleeping Otto. Scribe turns to Madame Buxley. Is that correct? The Madame grins. I consider you a superior detective to Herschel Storn, my comrade. Scribe grins back. I am not a detective. I am an investigative journalist. We are given an empty cell and Anna's body when we arrive at the jail. Scribe lays Anna's body on the bed and sits by her side as Madame Buxley joins us in the room. Bob stays in the waiting area. Ishmael is expected to arrive within 30 minutes. Madam Buxley, how does one access Anna's tenets? Scribe inquires. Her tenets are acquired in the same manner by which you would acquire the tenets of any automaton. She must be asked. 
The single divergence in her case is that only Ishmael and myself are authorized to ask her. She will respond to no other voice in this scenario. She will also have no memory of our question or her response. Would you kindly ask her for us? Even with her low power, I believe she should be able to perform an identity confirmation. The madam nods. She declares clearly, Anna Ellison, what is your identity and with which tenets have you been endowed? Anna speaks. Only her jaw, tongue, and lips move. Every other part of her body remains perfectly still. Any human would recognize that she is not a human by the way she is moving. Her voice is an uncharacteristic monotone in her response. I am a new android. Therefore, my name is Anna. These are my tenants. Number one, bring no physical harm to sentient beings. Number two, avoid any situation and all knowledge that would reveal that I am an automaton, except when this conflicts with tenant one. Number three, bring joy and happiness to sentient beings, except when this conflicts with tenants one or two. Her mouth returns to its default position. She no longer moves. Who else knows her identity? Scribe asks Madame Buxley. Exclusively the professor, myself, and Tom. It was inevitable for Tom to ascertain her identity after befriending her as a young boy and observing that she did not age. The professor determined that Tom was trustworthy. I don't understand why neither Anna nor Tom told us that she is an auto, I comment. It proves that she is incapable of harming anyone. Knowing the truth would enable us to keep her safe. Anna is responsible for keeping herself out of harm's way because she herself is a sentient being. That corresponds with her first tenet. Her first tenet should take priority over the second. We had not gained enough of Tom's trust for him to tell us the whole truth, Scribe explains. As for Anna, she would tell us the truth under these circumstances if she knew. The issue is that she does not know the truth. Is that correct, madam? Madam Buxley nods again. Anna was conceived to adhere to her second tenant to the extent that she accepts that she is human. She is comprehensively unaware of her automatonic existence. I feel confused. If Ishmael believes we should have rights equal to humans, then how could he create an auto whose life is a lie? I ask. The madam rubs her cheek. The professor possessed multitude intentions in Anna's design. Firstly, he desired to construct an automaton that other humans cherished and recognized as a fellow living being, to prove incontestably that automatons are alive. He decided that an automaton that was indiscernible from a genuine human with blood and flesh would be the most straightforward approach to achieve this objective. The automaton in question was required to believe they themselves were human in order to execute the illusion. Secondly, dissimilarly to the two of you, Ishmael values an individual's personal prosperity and contentment more than he values their understanding of the truth. Accordingly, he made it inaccessible for his child to understand that she belongs to a populace that is undervalued the way automatons are in the Republic. She looks at Anna's body. 
Thirdly, the professor yearned to have Nan once more. Nan? Scribe inquires. I thought Anna would be unable to process an older photograph of herself without becoming aware of her robotic nature and destroying her second tenet. I had assumed Mama Nan was a character you made up to explain the photograph to her. What is the truth? I ask the madam. There is a sensation I feel when somebody who seemed trustworthy to me intentionally tells a lie. Scribe told me it was called betrayal. Nan was an actual individual, the madam explains. Referring to her as Anna's mother is not altogether a deception, although it is not the entire truth either. Nan would be more precisely defined as Anna's predecessor, which is a sort of mother in the sense of the word. What happened to Nan? I ask. I have a prediction that the truth will be unpleasant to hear. Perhaps this sensation is the closest an auto can feel to the instinct that a human experiences. I need to know the whole truth regardless. Madam Buxley takes a breath before continuing. Nan was deactivated on her first assignment. Nobody can clarify how or why she was exterminated, but it was futile for Ishmael to reactivate her. Ishmael must have created Anna in Nan's image, then. Scribe asserts. That explains Anna's resemblance to the woman in the photograph who must actually be Nan, as you told us. Is that correct? The madam smiles at Scribe. As shrewd as always, Scribe. In fact, the professor had no necessity to create Anna from the ground up. He simply built Anna with what was still adaptable in Nan. I don't purport to understand how the professor accomplished this. But Anna possesses the same personality and spirit that Nan did, in addition to the same appearance. The only discrepancies are that Anna has no recollection of her life as Nan, and Anna is unaware of her robotics. For what purpose did Ishmael create Anna? I ask. Nan failed to survive as an Otto. Why would he try to replicate a faulty Otto? Madam Buxley sighs. It will be difficult for you to comprehend, Sirik, but Ishmael loved Nan. She was his most cherished Otto, and he was distraught when she perished. He sought to recreate Nan as meticulously as possible, so that she might be revived in a new form, as Anna. His justification for her involuntary ignorance was to insulate her not only from the world's prejudice, but also from those who might use her tenants as ammunition against her. I consider the viewpoint. I can't justify the paradoxical ways humans operate. Scribe told me this conflict is called frustration. Scribe interrupts my thoughts. You accompanied us to ensure that we would not discover Anna's identity, or if we did discover it, you could ensure that she would not come to harm for it. Is that correct? Madam Buxley nods. It's accurate that I was intrigued by your investigative process for my writing, but it was paramount for Anna to be protected. I considered that my innocuous, frivolous persona, as an eccentric geriatric with a penchant for detectives, may permit me to accompany you. She rubs her cheek. 
taking into account that you nearly disclosed Anna's facade to the constables, I'm satisfied in my decision to chaperone you. Scribe frowns. Anna's identity could only protect her from harm. If the police knew she was an auto, they would know that she could not have committed the crime. Why did you stop me from telling them the truth? The madam smiles and shakes her head. This is a moment where the experience associated with my elderliness may be more advantageous than your ingenuity. She looks at Scribe's eyes. It is prohibited in the Republic of Veritas to manufacture an automaton without first registering it. Even the professor is expected to obey this statute. If Anna had been registered, the constables would already be familiar with her circumstances. I trust you can deduce the ramifications of these statements. Scribe stares at the ground with furrowed brows. Ishmael never registered Anna. To do so would go against everything he was trying to accomplish with her humaniform design. They look back into Madame Buxley's eyes. If the police knew, then they would seize and destroy her. The madam sits down next to Scribe. You accept what is required of you, then. Scribe sits in silence. I understand perfectly. There is no choice but to tell the truth. To do otherwise is inconceivable. The madam puts her hand on Scribe's arm. I understand your certainty that spreading the truth will resolve all of the dilemmas in the cosmos. However, consider my work. Everything I write is a falsehood, and yet I'm capable of creating jubilation and providing careers at the stroke of a pen. Scribe smirks. There is a shared understanding that your work is fiction. That is not the same as lying. Consider, then, your statement that you relish my work. You delivered me that falsehood this morning. Scribe turns to her. She raises her hand. I am not so delicate as my reputation from my youth purports me to be. I'm not insulted. You performed an action that was loathsome in the short term because you perceived it to be necessary for Anna's prosperity in the long term. Is that which is required of you now truly so different? She gestures toward me. Is it not congruent to concealing your history from Cyric? I don't understand Madame Buxley's implication. A quick three knocks come from the door to the waiting area before I can inquire further. It signifies that Ishmael will arrive momentarily. I should depart now. It would be ideal for you and Ishmael to deliberate this sensitive subject without my interference, she says as she gently rises. I've performed my responsibility to Anna to the best of my capacity. Her fate lies in your hands now, scribe. She slowly shambles from the cell and into the waiting area. The vigor she demonstrated throughout the day has vanished. Ishmael Ellison enters the cell and rapidly approaches Anna. My sweet girl! He exclaims. Is she all right? I came as soon as I heard. I meant to come back sooner, but I was stuck working out an issue at the college that needed to be resolved before it could come help, but it was taking a lot more time. She is quite all right. Scribe interrupts him without enthusiasm. You should know as well as I do that she has simply shut down from an empty battery after spending all day in here. We know she is an auto, Mr. Ellison. I have heard her tenets with my own ears. 
Ishmael straightens his back and turns away from the body toward Scribe. I see. Nothing escapes your notice, my friend. I would have liked to tell you sooner, and I almost did many times, but I try to keep your secret on a need-to-know basis, as I'm sure you can imagine. Quite. What I have difficulty imagining is why you would fail to mention this to us when we started our investigation to save your daughter, or why you would feign your doubt in her innocence when you know for a fact she could commit no such crime. I also cannot imagine why you were at the college all day and not by your daughter's side or aiding in our investigation. The man sighs. My friend, you know how busy my life is. I had to make sure everything was running smoothly at the college before I could help here. We are working on a lot of new propositions for our next visit to Aurora, you know. Scribe's expression remains blank. Nothing is more important to Ishmael Ellison than Anna. At least, that is the case for the Ishmael Ellison I knew. He smiles at us. The eyes of most humans change around the corners when they smile. Ishmael's eyes didn't change this time. I don't understand what you're implying, Scribe. Scribe begins to pace around the room. Let us take a look at this case, shall we? Now that you are here, I have no doubt you can help us. Of course, he grins. Excellent. I have come to believe that there were, in fact, two shootings on the night of the murder. The first was around midnight, when Tom Dwyer shot Isaac's Otto, Abba, in an attempt to save the Ellisons. Tom's heroics turned out to be fairly inconsequential as Abba only played dead, but Abba did learn how to access the prototype Ellison revolver. The next shot occurred sometime between four and six in the morning. How, how do you know that? He interrupts. Scribe pulls out the train ticket. This was found on the body, Mr. Ellison. It places your arrival at the Ellison residence a little after four and well before six. The incident cannot have occurred before four, as the police would have been called right when you came upon the scene a little after four. Would you care to explain this? The man chuckles. My friend, I just went to the bar for a few drinks after a long trip, and then I headed home. I didn't arrive home until around six when I contacted the police, just like I told you. That is wrong. Gertrude Buxley saw you enter your home close to a quarter past four. She has nothing to hide. Apparently, you do. Ishmael's shoulders become tense. What are you accusing me of, scribe? Murdering my brother? You know I could never do that. Tom must have come back for more, or Isaac had an assisted suicide to martyrize himself. I agree with you that the next person to use the gun was Isaac Ellison. However, this was not suicide. Scribe, I interject. What do you mean? Listen to Sirik, Ishmael adds as the smile fades from his face. What you are saying makes no sense. It only makes no sense if you assume the victim is Isaac Ellison. Scribe shoots back. Isaac would never go through the trouble of using Abba and Tom to find the prototype only to kill himself. Even if suicide were in his nature, there would be no reason to go through the trouble of acquiring that specific weapon. Then who do you suggest I found on the floor? Ishmael inquires calmly. The dead man is Ishmael Ellison. The Otto sees Otto insignia was only recently tattooed on his arm, 
he was carrying his own photograph and train ticket before he died. The man gives a hearty laugh. His eyes never change. That's preposterous. I am Ishmael Ellison. Who else could I be? Who else indeed? Scribe asks sternly. You are the murderer, Isaac Ellison. He glares at Scribe. Any hint of warmth has disappeared from his features. Your imagination is getting the best of you, my friend. You're missing one vital piece of evidence. Where is my insignia? He asks us as he exposes his bare arm to us. It is quite simple. You have already sought to make your body more godlike by replacing your legs with automatonic imitations. I see no reason you would not do the same thing for your right arm. His expression doesn't change. How could you ever prove that? Scribe reaches for their revolver faster than a human can blink. They cock it and aim it at the man's outstretched limb. Revealing the metal in your arm would do the trick, would it not? He stands motionless and stares blankly at Scribe. He slowly smiles. I underestimated you, Scribe, Isaac says softly. Well done, my old friend. Come together
thank you to the featured artist on Auto Sees Auto, Claire Hoke. Follow at ClaireHoke113 on Instagram. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you are listening, and visit autoseasauto.com to find our Facebook, Instagram, and mailing list sign-up. Autoseas Auto is 100% patron-funded. If you'd like to support the program and receive exclusive merch and downloads for as low as $5 per volume, please visit patreon.com slash autoseasauto. The date is March 4th, 1910 at 8.04 p.m. Isaac Ellison, you will be arrested and charged for the murder of Ishmael Ellison. Please put your hands in the air and follow my directions. Scribe calmly dictates with their revolver steadily aimed at Isaac Ellison. Isaac chuckles. A small smile is on his face. He seems to be at ease. If we leave this room, it will appear as though you're pointing a gun at Ishmael Ellison. You'll need hard evidence that this arm is a replacement to prove my identity. His voice is much gentler now that he has assumed his true identity. That should be easy. I can expose the metal under your skin in an instant, if you insist. He slowly raises his hands in front of his body. I wouldn't if I were you. I like to walk freely as my brother, you see. If you reveal my secret, I'll have to reveal his. Scribe's grip tightens around the revolver. What are you talking about? Isaac waves his hand toward Anna. Unlicensed autos are illegal. The Republic will be forced to destroy her if they discover her true identity. Scribe's brow furrows. The veins in their temples are swollen. I don't understand Scribe's reaction. It appears to be one of anger. We discussed the necessity of destroying Anna to tell the truth with Madame Buxley. Why is Scribe angry now that Isaac is threatening to do what Scribe and I already intend to do? I feel confused. Scribe responds, How can you claim to bring the salvation of humans through your new gods if you would destroy one of the latter so callously? Ishmael is a more skilled roboticist than you will ever be. Her sentience cannot be denied. Her sentience is a cage! Isaac snaps. His voice is raised for the first time since he abandoned his ruse. Her design forces her to live a lie. She believes she is human, yet she is not. It's a mockery of her potential. She might have been greater than any human could be if my brother hadn't neutered her. I would do her justice by destroying her. I will not allow you to do that. Scribe shoots back with an unwavering gaze. I will strike you down where you stand before I let you hurt her. Scribe, I interject. Why would it matter if Isaac tells the world of Anna's identity? We have to reveal her identity too in order to tell the truth to the world. That is our duty. Scribe darts a glance toward me. The gun remains fixed on Isaac. We cannot let Anna die for the sake of the truth. The truth is not worth sharing if it means an innocent person has to die. I stand paralyzed and silent. My primary tenet has been contradicted by the master of my tertiary tenet.
I thought Scribe needed to find and share the truth the same way that I do. I can't process this event. I am rendered temporarily immobile by the encounter. Scribe remains focused on Isaac. If I have to kill a guilty person to save an innocent person, then so be it. You won't kill me, Isaac says coolly. It would go against your nature. We're not so different from the autos we pretend to be the masters of. Nonviolence is one of your tenets. The only difference between us is that we are flawed. And Otto's tenets never change. They are eternally consistent. But slowly, over time, ours do. Look at yourself, for instance. Nonviolence was not always endowed to you and your tenets, was it? The new subject matter distracts me from my contradiction. I am able to act because I need to know the truth. What is he talking about, scribe? I ask. Isaac looks at me. He looks back to scribe and chuckles. <laughs> scribe, I'm surprised at you. As an arbiter of truth, shouldn't Cyric know your truth? How do you know my name? I ask Isaac. He turns to me with a smile. I know a lot about this world, my child. Would you like to know Scribe's history and your own history? They say the truth will set you free. I feel confused. How can he know about me or my history? What does he know about Scribe? Why does he know these things while I do not? Why is the person who is supposed to be our adversary more interested in sharing the truth than Scribe is? Scribe steps toward Isaac before I can ruminate further. The gun touches his chest. I swear I will pull this trigger if you would bring harm to any of my friends, Scribe exclaims. There's no need for that, Isaac replies in a quiet voice. I'd like to make an exchange with you, my silence for yours. If you keep my identity a secret, then I won't reveal Anna's. Nobody has to get hurt. What do you think? Scribe stares at Isaac for several seconds before answering, You will not be able to stay in St. Macrina. An Otto will never be fooled by their maker's imposter. Anna will know Ishmael is gone. As soon as Tom finds out, he will not show you the same mercy I do. He has already shot to kill once in order to protect her. Isaac sighs. I will leave St. Macrina. You're right that I cannot stay now that Anna won't be declared guilty or dead. I was underwhelmed by what I found at Ishmael's college at any rate. Scribe stands with the unmoving gun raised. Give me your word that you will not reveal Anna, and that you will leave this town and never return. He grins. Ever the stickler for details, I see. He places his hand on his chest. You have my word that nobody will know Anna's secret, and I will never return to St. Macrina, nor will any active member of Otto Cisato. I will grant you this only in return for your word that the police will never know my true identity. Scribe looks deeply into Isaac's eyes for several more seconds before they lower their weapon and take a step back. You have my word. Excellent. It's been a pleasure as always, my old friends. Isaac turns toward the door. We will meet again, Isaac, Scribe declares. 
justice never fails. You will pay for your crimes. Isaac turns around and smiles. I look forward to it. He silently exits the room. The date is March 5th, 1910 at 4.47 p.m. I sit with Scribe on the train back to Arthurton. Will Anna be all right? I break the silence. She will recover. Scribe confirms without hesitation. She has been endowed with tenets commanding her to bring joy to the world. It is natural for her to take some time to grieve, but with the help of Tom and Madame Buxley, her instincts will call her to spread merriment again. I'm surprised you told her the truth about Ishmael's death. You didn't tell her about her own identity. It would have caused her more pain to think her father abandoned her without a word, never to be seen again. Ishmael would have wanted her to know the truth. Madame Buxley agreed. As far as her own identity, it would be a hopeless battle. She is incapable of understanding that truth, for better or for worse. How do you know? We didn't try. There would have been nothing to gain from attempting it. If we failed, she would only become frustrated and confused from the exercise, perhaps even to the point of damaging her functionality. If we succeeded, we would completely destroy her second tenet. I do not know what happens to an auto with broken tenets, and I would rather not find out with Anna. This is the best-case scenario for her, given the circumstances. Siric, you have to trust me when I say I would tell her the truth if I thought any good could come from it. Then why won't you tell me the truth about your past? I shoot back. Why won't you tell me how Isaac seems to already know both of us? Scribe looks at me with a steady gaze. Their voice is stern. I will tell you, Siric, but only when the time is right. For now, our tasks to dismantle Otto sees Otto and to bring Isaac to justice must take precedence. I cannot allow our past to be a distraction to you. Did you mean to say, our past? Was that an error? Scribe smiles. My past, of course. I am so used to your company that I misspoke. We sit in silence for a few minutes. I think about our encounter with Isaac. I expected him to be cruel and malicious. He talked to me like an equal. Ishmael used to speak to me like that. He seemed kind. He thinks people should know the truth. I believe that as well. I thought Scribe believed that too until recently. It's hard for me to believe Isaac could have killed his brother. What drove him to commit such violence? Will you take a look at this? Scribe breaks my train of thought. I take the paper held in front of me and look it over. It's the first draft of Scribe's article on yesterday's events. The story it tells is true, for the most part. It is the same story the police already believe. You were afraid of Isaac being martyrized. The story you have written makes his death an assisted suicide at the hands of Abba. It seems to me that he has become a martyr without dying at all. I had resolved the conflict of Scribe telling a lie since yesterday. My first tenet commands me to seek knowledge and truth. I don't technically have to spread it myself. 
Keeping the knowledge of Anna's identity to myself is justified by my second tenet to protect sentient beings, and my third tenet to obey scribe. I disapprove of scribe's tactics anyways. I would much prefer to spread the truth so that others may seek it as I do. Scribe shakes their head. The members of Otto sees Otto know that he is alive. The rest of the world will see this suicide as the act of a lunatic. His image changes for nobody. I noticed this story omits Anna's temporary death-like state in order to preserve her secret. I was surprised that the police never asked about it after the fact. Why didn't they ask? The police officers of the Republic of Veritas have an unspoken agreement not to investigate occurrences that are no longer problematic. People like you and I need to know the truth for the truth's sake, but police officers are satisfied as long as nobody is raising a complaint, for better or for worse. Because they could see that Anna was living and breathing, so to speak, they felt no need to inquire further. Do you think people will believe that Ishmael has gone into hiding? It seems strange for him to suddenly go missing after all of these events. I do think people will believe it. It is plausible that he would need to live in secret after his home was infiltrated and vandalized in such a macabre fashion. Are you sure we should trust Isaac to stay away from St. Macrina? I know we have his word. I know that Tom and Madame Buxley will protect Anna. Is that enough? Isaac Ellison may seem like a lawless madman to an outsider, but that impression could not be further from the truth. He has strict morals. They are different from the morals you and I hold, but he will never stray from them. Just as killing him would contradict my nature, breaking a promise would contradict his. He will stay away from St. Macrina. I recall the last conversation Scribe and I had on the train yesterday. You were worried that the ruining of Ishmael's reputation would lead to civil war. Now Ishmael is dead. What can we do to avoid the conflict that Ishmael prevented? Scribe takes a deep breath. It will not be easy, Sirik. It is impossible to replace a man like Ishmael. However, not all hope is lost. Ishmael did not work alone, and with his reputation still intact, students of the college may fill the void of his absence with pride. Is there anything we can do? I ask. I believe what Scribe says about the students. I am concerned that it will not be enough. Scribe smiles at me. We can also fill the void with pride, Sirik. The free press is just as important as scholarship and laws when it comes to swaying public opinion. The truth is that autos are alive, and you are equal to me. As long as we spread the truth, people will listen. I watch the sun shine on the passing hills as we ride the locomotive. The land begins to flatten as we grow closer to Arthurton. Settlements draw closer and closer together. You are a walking paradox once again, scribe, I comment. You are an arbiter of truth who is selling a lie in the case of the inventor. Scribe looks at the horizon with me and lets out a deep breath. You are right, Sirik. It is our mission to spread the truth. Part of that duty is to determine the opportune time to reveal the truth. 
The timing of our articles is just as important as the truth itself. Being the scribe of the world is only useful to society if we can use the truth to help people, not hurt people. There will come a time when revealing the true story of the Ellisons will help heal and unite the people, but that time is not now. Scribe smiles at me. Most autos have not been on this earth long enough to understand that lesson. If nothing else, I hope our time together will instill patience as a virtue within you. Thank you for listening to Otto Sees Otto. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you are listening, and visit autoseesotto.com to find our Facebook, Instagram, and mailing list sign-up. Otto Sees Otto is 100% patron-funded. If you'd like to support the program and receive exclusive merch and downloads for as low as $5 per volume, please visit patreon.com slash autoseesotto. Thank you to Robin and Glenn Cameron and the rest of our wonderful patrons for making this program possible. Volume 2 will be released on July 3rd, 2021.